1: 6:30, Chad. Inside sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on 6:30, Chad. Nugent Hopkins
2: left circle, wrist shot, score.
3: good trick. Ryan Nugent Hopkins. The Ajay, who's up across the forty, he swings it to the
4: forty-five, the fifty,
3: down the sidelines he goes. The Ajay, he's got all
4: sorts of daylight inside the. T- Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos.
0: 630 Chad.
5: Hey, we have live hockey on your old radio tonight. Edmonton Oilers rookies at Calgary Flames. Rookies will drop the puck. In about an hour, these two clubs played on Saturday night in Red Deer. The Flames able to emerge with a one nothing overtime victory. Oilers going with them. pretty much the same lineup. Olivier Rodrigue is going to be your goaltender tonight, though. After Dylan Wells and Stuart Skinner split Saturday's game, Jack Michaels and Bob Stoffer will hop on for a preview. We'll also talk a little football as well. The U of A Golden Bears one and one out of the gate this season. You know about uh, the dismal records they have had in recent years with their right in the thick of it early this year. Two very close games, and now they get set to host Manitoba on Friday. Head coach Chris Morris will hop on a little bit later on. Thanks so much for tuning in. Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 630. Chad, my name is Reed Wilkins. The Eskimos on a bye. Their next game, Friday the 20th, when they host the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and uh, once they get back at practice on the weekend into next week, we'll know more about quarterback Trevor Harris, who has an injury to his throwing arm and uh, we'll see how extensive that is once they get uh, back on the field. But of course, the Oilers counting down to training camp it'll formally begin on thursday though there have been plenty of informal skates so far at rogers place and at the downtown community rink that's where they hit the ice today and uh, a lot of storylines for the oilers going into this season we've been talking a little bit about the depth scoring we've been talking about the addition of james neal up front what line is he going to play on but my question mark number one Throughout the entire offseason, and it remains my biggest question mark as we edge into training camp in the preseason, goaltending. Can the Oilers have a solid backstop? that can at least match the other guy every night. Who is it going to be? Mike Smith, Miko Koskinen. You know, Dave Tippett was asked about the number one goalie yesterday, and he said,
1: well, right now we don't have one. They know that it's competition, and they've already started in practices, and I know Schmitty well. I'm no, you know, I've watched a lot of Koskinen on tape. I think they're both going to be, uh, I told them both, I I hope you both play 41 games really well, right? If we do that, we'll be fine.
5: Now, here's the scary part. Here's the scary part for Oilers fans going into this season about the goaltending. You have Mike Smith, who last year played for the Calgary Flames, finished the year with a record of 23-16-2, so a a decent one-loss record. And don't forget, the Flames finished second overall in the NHL before losing in the first round of the playoffs to Colorado. Mike Smith, 23-16-2, an 8.98 save percentage. Now, I'll put the red flag on top of that save percentage because... When the NHL keeps stats, you have to play a certain number of games, play a certain number of minutes as a goaltender to qualify for the uh, stats leaderboard at the end of the year. So there were 54 goalies in the NHL who played enough to qualify for the save percentage stat. 54 goalies. Mike Smith's 898 put him 47th out of the 54 over the season. Miko Koskinen, who is going into uh, year one of the three year contract extension that he was signed to by former general manager Peter Shirelli. Uh, Koskinen's one loss record last year 25, 21, and 6. His safe percentage, 9.06. Out of the 54 goalies who qualified for the safe percentage stat, he was 38th. So your two goaltenders. Last year, one guy 38th, one guy 47th. If they repeat those seasons, it doesn't much matter how much the Oilers' penalty killers are better, how much more depth scoring they have. If Dreisaitl gets to 50 again, if McDavid gets to 100, 150, or 200 points, if the two goaltenders are 38th and 47th in save percentage, this is going to be another tough year for the Oilers. The the team's save percentage for Edmonton last year, 27th out of 31 teams. I will throw this out there as a, as a bit of an oddity. The worst playoff team last year in terms of save percentage, 21st in the league, was indeed the Calgary Flames. They were at 903. Of the 16 playoff teams, they had the worst save percentage. And in the playoffs, Smith actually did pretty good. Now here's the thing you got to remember about Smith. From the start of the season until January 31st, his save percentage was only 8.88. He was 9.12 in February, March, and April regular season, and then he was 9.17 in the playoffs. So he did get better down the stretch over that final third of the season, uh, but overall the number wasn't great. If the Oilers get the guy from Calgary who who played the way he did in February, March, and April. You know what? They they should have at least average goaltending. If uh, they get the guy that the Flames had over the first two thirds of the season, they're going to have to score a ton to overcome that. And uh, Koskinen was, uh, you know, pretty inconsistent. And don't forget, Miko Koskinen was at one point was seven and zero at home, and had three shutouts. His first seven appearances at Rogers Place were all victories and three shutouts. But as the season wore on after Talbot got traded, he played more and more. He simply wasn't as sharp. Like Tippett said in that clip, if there there's probably going to be a relatively even split. One of the wild cards here is Smith's ability to move the puck, and we're going to talk about that as we move along tonight. But Mike Smith, after skating today at the downtown rink, said, yeah, he's ready to compete with Koskin for the job.
6: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's all you want as a goalie is to get an opportunity to play and, and to help the team. And I think both guys are hungry to uh, to prove they belong in this league and, and uh, can help this team win on any given night. So we're going to work together to, to be the best we can be on, it, on any, any given night. And... Uh, Obviously, like you said, the job's up for grabs, so that's all you can ask for as a player. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I played some of my best hockey at the end of the season last year in the playoffs, so I think, uh, you know, you go in the summer feeling good about where your game's at, and, uh, you know, as an older player, you got to have a pretty good handle on um, what needs to be done to, uh, you know, to keep you at the level you've been playing at. So I think coming in this year, I just want to be, uh, you know, a good veteran player for this group, um, be a good leader in the locker room on and off the ice, and, you uh, know, you know, have guys look up to me and, and, you know, I'm a guy that works hard, you know, on the ice. So I think it's uh, it's something as a veteran player you, you owe to the young guys to so show them uh, what, what being a professional is all about. And uh, hopefully, you know, that leadership gets us back in the playoffs.
5: Mike Smith coming in at the age of 37, a bonus-laden contract. Basically, the more he plays, the more he gets paid. We'll see how he does indeed play. I, I know this about Mike Smith, and I remember... Uh, There's a lot of clever people out there listening to the show. And when Mike Smith was signed in the summer, somebody texted it and said, Mike Smith is now the Oilers' best puck-moving defenseman. Well, he's good at stopping it and moving it back there. We've seen that in recent years. You know, Pat Steinberg, who uh, hosts the Flames broadcast in Calgary, praised Smith for that. And he said, hey, there's going to be a couple nights a year where you're going to be rolling your eyes and wishing he was staying in the the net because he's going to throw one away that's going to get intercepted and shot into an empty net. But you live with that because of all the good plays. He does make with the puck and how he can help a team get out of its own end and I, I asked Smith today when he started to get really good at handling the puck. You
6: know what, I was always wanting to come to the net and kind of play the puck but uh, I think being drafted by Dallas and uh, like I said uh, having Marty Turco you know, as a kind of mentor I knew that I was going to play in Dallas I'd probably have to at least handle the puck half as good as him and uh, I think just watching him for the first year and a little bit of my career in the NHL I think obviously um, makes you better and you're kind of a sponge at the that age, just kind of taking everything in. It's something I worked hard on after that, to, um, you know, because I understood how much it it took off the pressure off our, uh, you know, our D. So I think it's just kind of evolved since then, and I've gotten a little bit better at it every year, and and uh, hopefully I can, you know, bring a big part of that to to Edmonton this year. How
5: long does it take to work out with your defenseman? Okay, like I, I got this area. Like you don't have to come all the way back. <laughs> Did you need to talk about that or just repetition? No,
6: it's it's de- there's definitely a communication aspect of it that's uh, uh, talked about early in the season, and it's always talked about. I'm a, I'm a very vocal guy on on and off the ice, so I think there's uh, there's different situations that happen that you want to talk about it with them, and um, everyone needs to get on the same page kind of right off the bat. So I'll have you know some talks with uh, the D and even some of the forwards just to kind of know you know where to go and who's open in, in, you know, different situations. So, um, you know, communication's key as far as the puck handling part. And once everyone gets familiar with it, it makes it uh, life a lot easier back there.
5: Mike Smith, new goaltender for your Edmonton Oilers and one of the big storylines heading into this season. All right, Blue Jays. And Red Sox tied 1-1 in the bottom of the third. Oilers Rookies Flames Rookies will face off at 7 here on 630 Chad. The man with the play-by-play, Jack Michaels, when we get back.
3: You're home for all the news and expert opinion. Inside sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad.
5: Good to have you tuning in tonight. We have an actual live hockey game on the airwaves at 7. The Oilers' rookies and the Flames' rookies from Calgary. The man who's going to call the game is my good buddy Jack Michaels. Jack, I do not want to start with uh, hockey with you tonight, though, because you are the biggest tennis fan I know. And uh, i got to ask you your impressions, thoughts on Bianca, the Canadian, getting the big win on Saturday.
2: Well, I think we're going to look at this particular point in time as um, much as we would have when Federer won his first title. Uh, when Serena herself won her first title back in 1999. I I think Bianca's here to stay. Uh, She is solidly built. Uh, She's built to last an athletic player who more than anything has a will and resolve that tells me that her competitive instincts are going to one day rival Serena's. And uh, look, a very conservative plus minus, and this is not going to sound conservative to some people, but I I guarantee it. She's going to win 10. She's going to win 10 for sure. And when her career is finished, we'll look back on this past weekend as the dawn of a great era in Canadian sports history. She will... When she retires, I think she'll retire as one of the top ten Canadian athletes of all time. Not, I mean, you know, you've got to, you've got to take, you can't put all ten in hockey, right? Of course. I, I think, you know, Mike Weir was a one-off. Uh, I can tell you this: Bianca's no one-off.
5: Well, that, that it's incredible how you put that, and, and, and I mean, I hope so. It would be awesome to have a Canadian, not just good, but but dominant, like winning major great. titles in a sport She's going to be great, Reed. Yeah. And, and and you really think it's the mental game that's going to separate her? Like, Absolutely. And you've watched a lot of tennis. She's
2: a killer. She is a killer, Reed. I mean, uh, it was—I consider, and and some people will scoff at this, but to me, tennis is the closest thing to boxing. It's one-on-one, no one's there to help you out. There's no real coaching. I mean, sure there's signals but go I mean, tell Serena that well I, I mean there's there's I know, I know. it's 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 really one on one. And it is a test of endurance and power as much as, you know, flat out skill. And what I really thought was what occurred in the match on Saturday was Serena gave Bianca her best shot. And Bianca didn't go anywhere, and when that happened, Serena became deflated. Now, like any all-time great champion, she had one last push. But the fact that Bianca was able to close it out, stayed strong, didn't collapse when the whole crowd, twenty-two thousand strong, was behind Serena, and more than anything, pulling for a third set. I mean, you know, that's the that's the thing. I, I think she, I I have to disagree. I mean, if you listen to the commentators and for. Quite matter of the, the fans, I mean, they were not rooting against Bianca. I mean, Serena did not have as big a home court advantage as I feel many Canadians thought she would have. Uh, be, and because Andrescu is so impressive from a competitive standpoint, she has that crossover ability like a Federer and Nadal. She is going to be a fan favorite as well, no matter what country she's playing in. There's no one that's going to be rooting against Bianca. She she already proved that. I mean, there's, there was just nothing but admiration for her game from the people who followed this sport for four and five decades, and I think it's because it's that steely-eyed competitiveness. I'm telling you, she is a keeper, and this is the beginning of a great era in Canadian sports.
5: Many people, you included, were hoping Sunday was the beginning of a better era for the Cleveland Browns, but they lost by <laughs> they lost by there. thirty. They you know, won't. just when we were getting along so well, Reed. Oh, we're always going to get along, Jack.
2: Uh, yeah, that was that was a miserable performance, and and quite frankly, the Browns and the Steelers uh, looked horrendous, and uh, of course, Baltimore torch that tire fire that's the Miami Dolphins, but uh, what struck me more than anything is as much as I wanted to, you know, chide my Steeler fans about it, they made a pretty good point. They were on the road in New England. Cleveland was home to Tennessee. Uh, it's not quite the same. So the Browns have a lot of work to do, and uh, you know, look, you've got to win some ball games before you start thinking of greater prognostications than that. Uh, people have asked me, what do I think Cleveland will finish? I think the Browns will finish nine and seven. They've got a lot of work to do. They haven't had that transition year. I mean, last year they got close to 500. They got close to contention, but they haven't had that transition year where they're truly in the hunt from the get-go, and they've got to get in the hunt from the get-go because I don't think he can play only one or two pressure games, and really there's some parallels that can be drawn, quite frankly with his Oilers squad I mean it's only two years but there's a lot of players no longer associated with the team that were on that squad that you know learned what it took to play pressure games and you know quite frankly that's what Edmonton as we look ahead to this hockey season is, is going to have to deal with and Ken Hollins openly talked about it he wants his club to play pressure pack games in March.
5: All right, Jack, I got to run to the news. I'll let you get ready for the game here. I know you want to take in the warm-up, and, of course, we have your play-by-play coming up at 7. Looking forward to hearing you, man. All right, Reed. Always a pleasure. That is Jack Michaels' play-by-play voice for your Edmonton Oilers here on 630 Chad. Well, we mostly talked about Bianca and the Browns, but uh, those are some, some storylines and certainly things affecting Jack's happiness or lack of it over the weekend. You can text 63630, our phone number 780-496-0063. You have a Golden Bears, a couple of tense finishes to start their Canada West football season. Head coach Chris Morris is coming up and a little more on the rookie game with Bob Stoffer. all ahead.
4: Hi, this is Armando Sewell of the Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad.
5: Inside Sports until 7 o'clock tonight. Then we have the hockey game, the Edmonton Oilers rookies visiting the Calgary Flames rookies. I would also like to let you know, tomorrow you can watch the Oilers rookies practice at West Edmonton Mall at the Ice Palace. They will hit the ice at 11.15. Also want to remind you, tomorrow night at Clark, FC Edmonton taking on Cavalry FC in Canadian Premier League action. We had Gene Principe on the show talking about this last night. Uh, this game in partnership with Sports Central, they will be there collecting gently used sports equipment, especially looking for soccer shoes and shin pads. You can also make a, a monetary donation as well. So if you can help out Sports Central, if you're going to that match tomorrow, of course, it would be greatly appreciated. Blue Jays now up 2-1 on the Red Sox. That game is uh, in the top of the fourth. The Oilers getting ready to start training camp Thursday morning. Uh, head coach Dave Tippett was asked about Captain Connor McDavid. How is his participation in camp and in the preseason going to be managed?
1: Every day we day, I've talked to him the last couple of days. I watched him skate this morning. We're just going to manage him as it goes along. You know, this morning he was out there. You know, we did everything in practice. So uh, it's a it's a combination of us with the training staff and the doctors, and uh, and Ken and I will talk about it with Connor, and just whenever he feels comfortable, that's where that's when he'll go. And uh, uh, we'll be we'll be very cautious with him. You know, especially early in camp, and uh, it'll a lot depend on what the doctors think and how he's feeling. We'll be cautious with him. You know, we're still. A little over, less than a week away from that, so we'll see. But he—he he looks like he's skating fine out there. But we're never going we are not gonna put him in a bad position.
5: All right, a lot of uh, we'll see's McDavid talked on Saturday. A lot of we'll see what the doctor says. Uh, I can tell you this, from having seen McDavid skate during these uh, informal skates, he he looks like the Connor McDavid that we've come to know over the last four seasons. Taking contact, playing in an actual NHL game, could be a different story, but it's clearly proceed with caution here from the Oilers. Uh, More on them as we move along tonight. The rookie game coming up at 7. The U of A Golden Bears football team two tense finishes to start the Canada West season. Next up, a home game on Friday against the Manitoba Bisons. The coach of the Golden Bears is Chris Morris. Chris, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Reed. How about you? I'm doing very well. It's great to have you on the show again as you're through two weeks of the Canada West football season. And man, talk about down-to-the-wire games. I mean, I know it wound up a 10-point difference against Calgary, but you guys were within three until the final play. And then a one-point uh, victory in Regina. So I guess you, you Learn a lot about your team seeing them in those pressure situations.
3: Yeah, no, we got a great group here this year for sure. They uh, they battled right till you know right till the final whistle. So it's, it's it's been a lot of fun watching them play and watching them sort of grow as a team as the as the season sort of progressed here. So you know, I it's like I said, it's a good group. So it's going to be an exciting season here.
5: I just want to look back, and I know you're looking ahead, and I want to do that too. But I, I do want to touch on the two previous games because the game against Calgary, uh, I think you were down 17 at the half, and, and like I said, made a game of it right down to the final play. W- what allowed your team to, to claw back into that one? I mean, what, were you were you sitting there thinking at halftime we're, we're not that far out of it, or or what allowed you to get back into it?
3: Yeah, I think we were right there. Like the, the it was just one or two plays in the first half that sort of gave them the advantage. It Physically, we were right there with them, like, and it's that's sort of a new thing for us. In the last couple of years, we sort of caught up a little bit physically with some of the other teams, where we feel luck, we're, you know we're winning our fair share of matchups now, right? So we felt we were in the game, and we felt we were right there, and then we just kept chipping away. And then you know, Dahlke made a huge play on an interception for a touchdown. You know, we had several chances to win the game. We just didn't we didn't quite make the plays we needed to. So. And like you said, they they picked the ball off in the last play of the game to make it a ten point game. But you know, we had the ball on the fifty five yard line with a chance to you know, a chance to make one play in a field goal to win the game. So it's or to tie the game and go to overtime. So we were right there and you know, it's it's unfortunate we didn't pull it off, but it sure it sure was fun watching the kids compete that way.
5: And then in Regina, you wind up winning 18-17. You were down 16-8 late in the third quarter and then got a safety and a touchdown in the final three minutes of the third to, to take the lead that you you hung on to to win. But, but an, another tense one, uh, you know, a lot of points the previous week against Calgary. This one, much lower scoring. and Your, your defense came up pretty big in the second half.
3: Yeah, they played, uh, they played incredibly well. They, they, you know, the second half, they basically, you know, I was talking to the team, they they just basically decided they wanted to win that game on defense. They, they weren't going to let that other team score. So they did some really, really good things. Again, you know, West, Westman Bookman's done some great things for us so far this season. You know, he made a big interception for us. And lots of other guys stepped up and made huge plays as well. So it was a, you know, really, really good win.
5: When you're in a, in a tight scoring game like that, and you guys had a block, a field goal block, late in the fourth quarter, and then Regina missed a, a kick of over 40 yards in, in the final 20 seconds that that went for a single point. First of all, tell me about the block. I, I mean, that's such a huge special team. So, I mean, you can go through a season or two sometimes without blocking a kick, and you guys got one at a big time.
3: Yeah, our teams have been playing really well. Like Troy Hanson's a, you know, a local kid from Joshua Place High School here, and he's uh... – been lots of injuries over the years and all sorts of things, but he's really, really settled into his own. This year, he's having a great year. He just, you know, came off the corner on the field goal and got his hand on it. And uh, you know, you know, we missed a couple of field goals that game too, so it was unfortunate. But it, it's, you know, when you make, it's just, Reed, it's so nice to make a couple of those plays instead of them going against you. And it's, you know, the last few years, it's been like, it seems like all all those sort of plays have kind of gone against us, and we're making them this year, which is really nice. And that's something we just got to continue.
5: I mean, as as a coach, when there's a kick late in the fourth quarter that can put the other team ahead, I mean, what do you think? Are you just assuming he's going to make it and having your guys ready to deal with trying to get get it back in the final twenty seconds, or is it? I mean, it must be kind of a helpless feeling too. Well,
3: you know what? It's, the funny thing is, like we pressured him and he, we blocked one of his field goals and we we pressured him on punts, so he was very nervous. With, like so, it was. I felt good about it because it was a fairly long field goal, and we, we put a lot of pressure on that kid up till that point. So you know you, you're, you're always hoping that you're you're gonna come out on the right side of those things, but I just you sort of had a good feeling just by the way we we sort of set that up for that moment. We played really, really hard up till then, and you know that pressure, I think paid off. And that's it's one of the hardest things to get across to your team is that the more pressure you put on other people, now it's not easy to play. Now it's hard to play. And now, it, it, you know, those sort of things that are, right, the, you know, routine things become difficult if you have pressure on people, right? And that's something we've been good at so far this year.
5: Chris Morris, U of A football coach, joining us tonight on Inside Sports. The Bears 1-1. One and that's a pretty common record in your league. Out of the, out of the six teams, four of them are 1-1, one one, Chris. Uh, one's 2-0, and oh and one is 0-2. Oh so obviously there's still a lot to decide. You have Manitoba coming up at home on Friday. Uh, give us a, a little bit of a scouting report of the Bisons.
3: Yeah, really athletic team. Uh, their, their defensive line, they have the two best defensive ends probably in the country. Um, lots of positives for them. Like they've had, a, they've had a good season so far. They ran the ball really well in their first game against Saskatchewan. Last game they played Calgary. And Calgary's defense was pretty good against them, so we'll see. I, you know, it, again, I, and, I, and I say this about every single game this year: we're going to be in it, and it's going to be like who can make some plays because every team in Canada West is pretty even at this point. So it's and it doesn't matter. Like I know somebody's on two right now. It doesn't even really matter who. They're still pretty good, and there's not there's not one single game in Canada West where you can sort of come out and just up and win you gotta you're gonna have to take games so this one will be nothing different than that right? you know manitoba next and it's saskatchewan after that if the beat goes on it's just one week at a time and everybody you're playing is a dangerous
5: opponent well been fun to follow so far chris all the best on friday against manitoba and of course we'll have uh, you and some of your guys on again throughout the season really appreciate your time Thanks very much for putting us on. Much appreciated. 7 o'clock at foot on Friday. Golden Bears will take on the Manitoba Bisons. It is a bye week for the Edmonton Eskimos, but it is not a bye week for King's Court with Ryan King, presented by Dynasty Builders, designing the custom home of your dreams, available now exclusively in Landrex communities.
4: Welcome back to another episode of- Court on Chet. I'm your host, Ryan King. We are here with Blair Smith, number 48 linebacker. Thanks for being on the show. Let's start with uh, your draft year, 2015. What a cool experience to be coming in on the, the season that we won the Grey Cup. You played all 18 games, had a great uh, rookie season. Tell me a little bit about the experience of getting drafted, coming in, playing your first couple games,
0: and uh, then obviously winning the Grey Cup in your rookie season. Well, I mean, the uh, draft didn't really exactly go the way I had planned on it. You know, I thought I had a like halfway decent combine. Experience and um, you know had a pretty good uh, senior year there at Angelo State, and uh, so I had uh, high expectations for myself in the draft. Um, you know, fell a little bit, probably like third last pick, and uh, I was just figured I had to scrap and claw and do do whatever I could to make the squad. And uh, you know, lucky enough, I was able to make a day one roster and stay on that thing year, uh, the whole year. I mean, uh, shoot, I remember that first game we played uh, Toronto up at Fort Mac, and I was on. Uh, Cover units I was on kickoff And uh, Shoot I was My job was Like don't let keep outside contained to the boundary there and uh, on that first kick return they got uh, they got outside of me and then I didn't get to cover another kick for like nine weeks so uh, when I finally got that opportunity uh, I, I definitely made it count and uh, made sure they couldn't take me from that spot anymore.
4: What's something that surprised you about coming into the CFL? Uh, speed, size, length of season, what's uh, something that shocked you in your uh, especially rookie season?
0: Well that's what uh, yeah talking about that rookie year uh, 23 weeks, I mean I think you mentioned I played all 18 regular season games, but then you throw in the, the playoff games and the two preseason games. I uh, played like 22 games that year. I mean, going from maybe like 12 to 13 was the most I had played through a, a college season before that. Uh, jumping up at 10 more games that was uh, that was insane. And then obviously against uh, larger, you know, faster guys, it definitely takes a toll on you. So. I was definitely a bit of a smack in the face and I was a little bit drained at the end of the year but you know, uh, we love the game and uh, happy to come back and do it every year they'll let me. Yeah and we
4: call that the rookie wall, it's usually around week 10 to 12 that uh, rookies hit the wall because that's generally what a normal college season is for them and uh, that's what their bodies are used to playing and once you get pro you're into a 20 game 22 game season in 25 weeks so it always uh, plays a toll on the body and uh, that's why I'm always interested in the recovery stuff that the have Af- Athletes, uh, that they do. Um, what are your plans post football? you gonna stick around in the city? You're gonna go back home? Um, what are you thinking for work? Just
0: yeah, talk okay. about that. Well, uh, me, I'm really. Shh. <laughs> I'm playing that by ear, you know, uh, we, we see what happens. Uh, I think myself as someone who's uh, pretty adaptable and able to learn whatever, you know, thought a little bit about, um, the, taking the firefighting route, but I'm not really tied down to anything. Um, coaching also a possibility, but, uh, really I'm just focused on football and trying to squeeze as much as I can out of that right now. Um, my fiance is a, a teacher right now. And so she's, uh, trying to get into the Edmonton public system so we'll be hanging around the city here for uh, the foreseeable future
4: nice that's good to hear we see a lot of guys uh choosing to stick around Edmonton post uh, post career and that's great for our community and that's kind of going into the next question you do a ton of community work you do a lot of coaching why do you get out so much and uh you know maybe coaching is something that you might look into when you're done playing
0: yeah it's definitely something uh consider I mean it's not always the friendliest uh jobs for for yeah and family and things like that but I mean I love the game so um it's definitely something I'm considering uh but as far as like in the community I'm I've been playing football since I was uh 10 years old my dad was a coach in the like the youth football system in Mississauga Ontario there and um I don't know those were just crucial moments in my like development as a an athlete, you know, a football player, and uh, even just like a young man, you know, I, I learned a lot. Um, a lot of, I remember some professional guys coming out. Andre Ryzen uh, came out to a practice there uh, from the Argos. We had some, uh, when I played for the Mississauga Warriors there, we had some NCAA guys come out and see us. Uh, Kerry Carter. Um, I don't know if he he went to Stanford, spent a little bit of time with the the Seahawks, I think. Um, Some other guys, can't quite remember their names right now, but definitely uh, remember seeing those guys and definitely looking up to them and wanting to be like that. So, you know, as much as I can uh, pass on whatever knowledge and love and passion I have for the game, I'm definitely going to go out and do that.
4: It's a great answer. We appreciate all the work you do in the community. All the kids obviously uh, enjoy that. Couple quick questions to finish off
0: here. What other sports did you play growing up? Uh, definitely a lot of soccer and baseball. I've got a provincial championship in, in baseball, but that was a rookie ball, still with the machine, you know, no pitchers or anything just yet. But I was pretty decent at that game.
4: All right, so you got two championships: Great Cup championship and uh, you know a little baseball championship. Uh, road games. What city do you like playing in the
0: most? It's always you know Hamilton and, and Toronto are always great, just because uh, get all the family from back home get to come out. So and Winnipeg because we won a Great Cup there, right? Yes. I, hey, Winnipeg, always fond memories because uh, that's 2015, 103. That's what I like to hear. What's least favorite? Uh, Calgary, APCs, man. Uh, yeah.
4: Enough said there. <laughs> that's all we need to say there. We don't need to yeah. give any more Calgary love on the show for that. Yeah. Uh, pre-game meals, uh, what do you get in you? Um, you know, let's say before you play a game, what are you trying
0: to get in you? I try to keep it pretty, pretty simple. I don't want to, you know, make it too spicy. Get the belly going, uh, acting up, but on game days, so, you know, maybe just plain chicken breast, some rice some, uh, rice, some get my veggies in there, and definitely a ton of fruit. Man, I love my my fruits, and uh, you know, maybe during the week we'll dabble into some uh, some candy here or there, but definitely uh, I try to get my sweet tooth with the with the fruits as of late.
4: All right, that's a good response from a veteran uh, CFL player. Keeping it healthy during the week a couple treats here and there. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Blair. That is another episode of King's Court on 630 Chet. I will see you next week for another episode. That's King's Court with Ryan
5: King, presented by Dynasty Builders, designing the custom home of your dreams, available now exclusively in Landrex communities. It is 648 Oilers Rookies at Flames Rookies coming up at the top of the clock. We'll set up the game with Bob Stoffer and also more news about beleaguered receiver Antonio Brown. when we get back.
6: Hi, this is Trevor Harris of the Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 CHED.
5: Trevor Harris, injury to his throwing arm. We'll get further updates when the Eskimos are back at practice after their bye week. Blue Jays trail the Red Sox 3-2, In the top of the fifth and a story here breaking out of the New York Times really in the last half hour. I'm just going to uh, read from the story here filed online. New England Patriots receiver Antonio Brown has been accused of raping his former trainer. That's according to a lawsuit filed in Florida. Uh, The lawsuit says that Brown sexually assaulted a woman who was a gymnast he met while they were attending Central Michigan together. And he later hired as a a trainer. Quite a uh, journey for Antonio Brown. And obviously this... uh, these accusations uh, far more serious than the things he went through with uh, the helmet uh, issue or missing practices or anything like that, but yet another story to follow with Antonio Brown. On a much lighter note, I'm going to read this text coming in from the Big L at 6.30, 6.30. The Big L says, Hey, Rita, I have an idea. If we offer up Andrescu's U.S. Open victory and throw in the Raptors NBA trophy, do you think the Americans would give the Stanley Cup back to Canada? One important stipulation, this deal is a non-starter. If they want to include their president, that's a really bad, contract that they are obviously having trouble getting out of there is some nice Tuesday night creativity from the big L as we get you ready for the Oilers rookies and the Flames rookies at seven o'clock we already touched base with Jack Michaels uh, Bob Stoffer is there as well as uh, we're ready for the rematch of that one nothing Flames overtime win on Saturday night Bob and uh, from an Oilers goal-standing perspective I-, I thought Dylan Wells had a really good game he was busy in the second period Skinner not as busy but he made the saves he needed to until overtime but but uh, Now we're going to see the third guy in rookie camp. Sure.
7: Uh, I thought when uh, you referenced the Big L and Donald Trump, you were trying to tie the two together there, Reed.
5: <laughs> the Big L is the, is the name of the texture. I think he writes into you I as know. well. Yeah. He's He's very funny.
7: The, I know some guys <laughs> that use the term Big L to describe a guy that they're not fond of. Oh, so. I hear you. I hear so, you. Yes. Uh, yes, we're going to see Olivier Rodrigue. This is a goaltender the Oilers. Took late in the second round last year. Uh, You know, maneuvered a couple picks to make that happen. Uh, He had a bit of a groin injury that knocked him out of the lineup for a while in the Quebec League, uh, playing frackety-bathurst. He's been moved to Moncton, and he's going to face a couple of his uh, teammates with uh, the Wildcats who have loaded up for a run, including Calgary Flames' first-round pick. Uh, And that happens to be the one and only, and I know you're a big fan of this fellow, uh, Jacob Peltier. So I'm going to be intrigued to see how Rodrigue plays. We're not going to have Dylan Dubey in the lineup tonight for and He was, you know, along with uh, Matthew Phillips, one of the two best players uh, Saturday night in Red Deer. Oilers are going to have most of their big dogs going Uh, with the exception of Connor Yamamoto, who uh, will not play in either of the two rookie games.
5: Yamamoto still getting over the the wrist surgery and that hampered him last season playing for the Bakersfield Condors. He did get uh, in a few games with the Oilers as well. I got to say, Bob, on Saturday, Tyler Benson didn't disappoint. I, I thought he showed good vision. He's known for making plays. As a matter of fact, I thought a couple of plays in Calgary or in Red Deer could have been finished, but I thought even a couple of times his teammates were were taken by surprise. He and Marodi and Hebrig were a pretty good line. Uh, McLeod shows some speed. I'm wondering about Lavoie, Raphael Lavoie, the pick from this last summer, too. We might see a little bit more from him tonight.
7: Or are you just overhearing our conversation that Jack and myself were having in the building? Uh, you know what? I mean, it's interesting. I thought Evan Bouchard played pretty well in defense. I thought McLeod had some good moments and showed some speed. Uh, benson had a good start to the game, couldn't sustain it, and part of that was Cooper Morody. And I know he took a, a healthy hit in the second period, but he's got to be, for a guy that was better than a point per game last year in the American Hockey League, you would think when you're playing against, you know, some guys that are, and maybe it was because of the matchup so much, the Marody benson line was out there a lot against, uh, uh, Dylan Dubey and Matthew Phillips. Uh, but the bottom line here is uh, Marodi and Benson are going to be looking for better nights tonight. Uh, as for Lavoie, he didn't do much at mm-hmm. all. Thought he was very stationary. Um, he's a big man. He's skilled. and He's a big kid. He's raw, but he is skilled. He can shoot the puck. He has a lot more game to give. I think it's tough to just judge one game in a rookie tournament. He's, as I mean, for whatever reason. Reason, Reed, I felt it was easier when you, you know, what you go to the three games in Penticton, and we might see that again. I thought you got a lot better, read even even right away. Like I, I, for what you know, neither of the two teams were particularly impressive. The goal were good yep. on Saturday night, but the you know the players didn't finish, and there were lots of opportunities to do so. And uh, there wasn't also some separation, in my opinion, from some of the top-end prospects, certainly for the Oilers up front and some of the, uh, the other guys out there.
5: All right, Bob, looking forward to hearing you and Jack. I'll toss it to you guys uh, coming out of this break here at 7. Have a good call, buddy. Thanks for the warning, Reed. Jack Michaels, Bob Stauffer, Oilers, Rookies, Flames, Rookies, first live hockey broadcast of the season here on 630 Chet. We're going to have a boatload of them next week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Oilers preseason games all on 630 Chet. Thanks to Dave Campbell, the producer of Inside Sports, Kellen Kennedy, your studio operator this evening. I'll talk to you during the intermissions and a full two-hour edition of Inside Sports tomorrow night. Thanks for tuning
1: in.